Welcome to the Money Insights Podcast, where high-income earners come to learn wealth-building strategies that will take them from high income to high net worth. With your hosts, financial and wealth-building experts, Christian Allen and Rod Zabriskie. Welcome to another episode of the Money Insights Podcast, where we talk all things money and business. Hi, everybody. My name is Christian Allen. And I'm here with my co-host. You all know him as Rodney the Pod Zabriski. Rod, what's up, man? Hey, I am doing great. And I'm actually really excited about this time of year. Do you know what this time of year is? Summer. It's super hot. Don't they call it the dog days of summer? Yes. And it builds <laughs> up to football season. Okay. It's I was going to say there's no it's sports coming. out there. So I, to me, it's like the painful season. It is. Really it is. Sports. But we have to have something to look forward to. And so football's coming. Okay, so good news. If you're a local guy, or a local person, I should say, then there's all sorts of kind of ups and downs as it relates to the jazz. So we have like yeah. the jazz and we have this like football realignment stuff happening. So like Crazy. there's all sorts of stuff in the news to kind of get us through the dog days of summer. If you're a sports Absolutely. person. Absolutely. Um, but it's been a little painful at the jazz front. Rod. they're tearing it down it's weird they're tearing it down well i should we don't know what they're doing but uh most people here don't care much about the jazz so we'll leave that for another day <laughs> we'll leave that rod for our sports podcast how about that okay yeah that sounds good that sounds good. today rodney we are going to do part two of dave's myth busting we're gonna do part two where we myth bust dave's myths yes busting busting them up we're gonna bust up his myth busting Gosh, that's a that's a tongue twister. I'm struggling with it. Anyway, but what we're going to do, just as a reminder, I was given this uh, very thoughtful gift, the Total Money Makeover, right here. And it was a wedding present. Turns out Rod had the very same one given to him um, years before. And so I just was flipping through the pages. Um, and I was talking to my fiance at the time, Heather, who's now my wife. Heather was like, oh, man, you should just like go through and bust some of the myth busts. And I was like, you know what? We should. That sounds yes, fun. Yes, and brilliant. it was really easy for me to get excited and passionate about it. Okay. So with that context, Rod, today we are going to start off by talking about some of the myths that he brings up or his, myth, his myths around debt and mortgages. So like home yeah. debt specifically, we're yeah. not going to be talking about like all the other kinds of debt out there, primarily just his view on debt as it relates to your home. Okay. Yes. That's going to be our first part. Then from there, we're going to jump to, we're going to talk about Dave's beliefs on the market and just his kind of commonly held belief that the market always performs at about 12%. So put your mm -hmm. money in mutual funds and you'll be good to go. Uh, and then finally, Rod, we get to oh our subject, which, you know, we're extra passionate about. And we're going to talk about why Dave thinks that life insurance is the worst financial product a person can buy. Does that sound fun? I am excited. Yes. <laughs> I'm super excited. Bring it okay. Up. So for a little bit of context, I want to read a line that Dave uh, says at the very beginning okay. of his money myth chapter. And he says... Uh, the myths in this chapter are rooted in two basic problems. Okay, so the first one is risk denial, thinking total safety is possible and likely. Okay, 
The second is easy wealth or looking for the magic key to open the treasure chest. So basically he's calling them two things, risk denial and quick, easy money. So as we go through the myth busts that we're about to bust, we can kind of categorize them and use Dave's own um, system, I guess, for de determining where they fit. I just thought it would be we kind of a fun context for what we're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. All right, Rod, without further ado, let's jump into Dave's myths. So Ready. myth number one, it is wise to borrow all I can on my home because of great interest rates. Then I can use the money. I can invest the money. So let me try that again. It's wise to borrow all I can on my home because of great interest rates. Then I can invest the money. And then his truth is you really don't make anything when the smoke clears. Okay. So what's he saying here, Rod? Like cut through the wordiness and tell us what is Dave getting at when he says this is a bad idea. Okay. First, I'm going to go back to your, the two things, risk denial or, or quick, easy money. And okay. I think I think it could be both, but I'm going to lean more toward the quick, easy money side because he's saying if you think you're going to pay low interest rates on your mortgage and and then and therefore have like a longer mortgage, we'll get into this kind of 30 year versus 15 year adjusted rate versus fixed rate, et cetera. Right? We'll get into all these things. Yeah. But if you think you're going to get just the, the better interest rate so you can have more money to go out and invest, you're you're just dreaming things up. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, OK, so what's really interesting, Rod, is he gives in his his soliloquy about this. He gives an example of an eight percent mortgage and a, and then, of course, he uses his regular 12 percent return. Right. Yeah. yeah. OK, so so the first thing I would say is like. You know, no one's paid eight percent on a mortgage in 15 years. Right. Sure. Yep. At so least. At, least. at least that. And by his own logic, the market always gets 12 percent. So mm -hmm. he go, what he does is he goes through and he says, well, if you take out like potential capital gains taxes, you really don't get ahead at all. Um, but then he but that's because he's in that example saying that that you pay 8 percent on your mortgage and you get 12 percent. Now, we might think that both of those are a little bit off, but mm -hmm. it's just interesting, the logic there, especially when. You consider that his own belief is that you can return 12. And again, in the last 20 years, we've been no one's paid more than 6%. So like the spread has been pretty significant. Right, right. And and I, I have to think about like the capital avalanche strategy that we teach, where we use a 2% spread as, as yep. our kind of baseline in our assumptions, which, which is very conservative. Yep. And that 2% turns into a huge difference over time. If you can earn or or pay 2% less than the on the debt that in this case he's he's saying we're we're using so that we can have more to invest and you can just earn 2% more than that, you've done amazing things. And and a lot of the people we work with are doing a lot better than that, right? Well, and and again, it's it it doesn't take a lot. And you do it over a long period of time and it's massive. So really yeah. what he's saying is he does not really believe in financial arbitrage. Like that's kind of what he's saying here, right? I I, I think there's probably some truth to that. But I would think even more if, if you just go back to the core of what he's saying and, and really just about everything, he doesn't believe in human nature, human uh, discipline, 
Uh, well, and I'm going to talk about that. Yeah, because he's saying, uh, which I, I mean, I think you and I both have, have talked with people who who speak like this. Oh, I'm I'm paying lower interest so that I can go out and invest, but then they don't invest. They just spend more money on on the day to day things. So, is there some uh, truth to kind of what he's seen? Like, has he seen people who are doing this? Yes. Um, but again, to to say that applies equally to everybody because if if those two people people over there don't have the discipline, then nobody can have the discipline, and so everybody should live by these rules of of just you know don't don't ever use debt for anything. Okay, so good context, Rod. He says in on page one seventy one. With the drop in real estate values and the slowing market in 2008-9, uh, the 2008-9 recession, many people lost their homes to foreclosure. I have done in-depth, detailed research and have found that 100% of the foreclosed homes had a mortgage. Okay. All right. Good logic, Seems Dave. fair. Seems fair. Sadly, some of the people who lost their homes had a naive financial planner who left risk out of his formula and suggested they harvest their equity. Like I said earlier, when the tide goes out, you can tell who is skinny dipping. Okay, so the reason, and I could keep going on. The reason I bring that up is because in my mind, Dave does this everywhere throughout the book. Like you'd have to be, okay, I'm going to offend people now. You'd have to be a drone to actually think this is good logic, right? Because <laughs> basically what he's saying is, is, is because some people have made bad decisions with mm -hmm. bad financial decisions, you will make bad financial decisions even if you're using good logic and math. So he's like, don't use logic and math because there were other people who may have done it this way, or I should say they didn't do it that way, who may have failed to do it this way. Therefore, you're going to fail to do it this way. Yeah. And that's really the basis of like all of his myths. Like they're not actually based in fact, logic or education. They're based in he's seen people that have had bad experiences. Therefore, you will have a bad experience. And are there bad advisors out there? Of course. Unfortunately, it's true. Um, are there people who, who are making bad decisions? Yes, of course. Um, but I, I thought you made a, a, great, a really good point before we started recording, and that was he assumes people can't become educated. They can't learn and, right. and then live by logic. And build and, skills. Nope. Right. Nope. You just just take thinking out of the equation, do it the way he says, logic is just not important to him. And, and again, you'll find it throughout basically all of these points. But we could yeah. go on and on about that, Rod. Okay, let's get to myth number two, which is still focused on mortgages, okay? Yeah. Myth number two, he says, take out a 30-year mortgage and promise to pay it like a 15-year, so if something goes wrong, you have wiggle room. That's the myth, okay? The truth is, Something will go wrong. Good, good. Powerful, yeah. powerful stuff, Dave. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Again, like, I don't even know if there's much to say there other than Dave's suggesting that your things will go or, or that you'll create something that goes wrong. He'll suggest that you can't be disciplined enough to do it. And yeah. therefore, the logic is out of the question. You'll so always take advantage of the wiggle room. Right. Because you'll always need it. Which again, I know many people who have accelerated their mortgage in a really powerful way by doing it this way. Okay, mm -hmm. so let's get into like the 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 logic behind the actual concept here, right? Okay, uh, because there is some you know there there might be some 
you could potentially sway somebody either direction, right? Some people really love the idea of getting the 15 year mortgage and just being disciplined and doing it that way. Some people really love the idea of getting a longer term, making creating less pressure, but mm -hmm. then accelerating it by putting extra money toward it. Yep. What's your thought as a financial expert on that specific topic? Okay, I have a few thoughts. Uh, first of all, I, I actually, going back to the, the myth number one, I actually think having a low rate on my mortgage and going out and investing. Oh, don't works. say that. It oh works. my goodness. And, <laughs> and okay, so is it horrible to pay extra toward my mortgage? Of course not. It, it's an emotional thing for a lot of people. And so if it yeah. just makes you feel better to do that, awesome. Go for it. Right. Um, we also had a, a few weeks ago on our show, Adam Carroll, who mm -hmm. uses the shred method, a way to accelerate paying off your mortgage using the, using the, yeah, debt, the bad so, word so that you can go and invest. I know. I know. It's, it's crazy. It's That's a bad word. That's a very bad <laughs> word. Um, but yeah, we're actually suggesting in that episode, Adam suggesting in that episode that you can utilize debt to accelerate your debt payoff. It's crazy, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. But here's the crazy part. The math in these things actually works. So if you do them, they will indeed work. Yeah. Weird. Weird. Yeah. Okay. So, so I'm with you and especially in today's day, like, I mean, I say today interest rates have started to go up, but, but like, it's pretty reasonable, especially in the alternative space to go get a double digit return with relatively low risk. Mm -hmm. Right. I can go get a hard asset that, you know, has very little potential of losing money, um, especially over a long period of time mm -hmm. and, and very likely will do, you know, much better than a, than a five or 10% return. So, so now you have this situation where like you're suggesting you're actually generating quite a large spread between the two. Yeah. So if the spread on an individual basis was a percent or two, like you might be able to argue in that given scenario that's not very structured and calculated because it's a person just doing it on their own, mm -hmm. right? Like you could argue that that might be, a, you know, a questionable decision, but it's hard to argue that as a questionable decision when I could get a spread of 10 or 15%, right? Right. Like, and and that's very reasonable. And and someone who has who's sophisticated, wise, even someone who's conservative could absolutely utilize that. And and really, all they would need to do is just make sure that they have liquid money available in other spots. You know what I mean? Right, so right. it's really not a matter of it, it goes back to the same thing. The the logic, the math, it it all makes sense and it works. It's just a matter of doing it. Yeah. Okay. So going back to your, your two, uh, the two basic problems, mm -hmm. I think this one is risk denial. And the reason I say that is yes. because I think, I think what he's assuming is that people won't calculate the risks when they make decisions. They'll just, if, if they, if they did the 30 year instead of the 15 years, so they have wiggle room, they'll just always use that wiggle room. And whether it's to go out and invest or whether it's to just spend on, you know, going out to eat or whatever, um, people aren't smart enough to calculate the risk or, or understand the risk and make a calculated decision based on that. 
Well, so the other thing here, Rod, is that you might argue that it's actually riskier to use a 15-year mortgage than to use a 30. There could be. Yeah. Right? A lot of now, obviously, obviously, if you have liquid money, then you're okay in either situation. Yep. But let's just say you've eaten through that, and now you've got a higher payment that you're having to deal with. Whereas if you didn't, let's say you lost your job or something, something difficult happened, you'd certainly in that moment wish that you had the 30-year mortgage that created some wiggle room, mm-hmm. right? Yep. So again, it's not just what you suggested, the behavioral part. The logical part also suggests that what he's saying might just be a bad idea. Okay, um, Rod, what is myth number three? Okay, myth number three it says it's wise to use a lower mortgage interest rate offered by an arm or an adjustable rate mortgage if you know you'll be moving in a few years anyway. That's his myth. Okay. His truth is you will be moving when they foreclose. <laughs> Sorry, I was reading it and started laughing before. <laughs> so the only option is, is that you're gonna be for so basically if what I'm read if what I'm reading is true, Dave's suggesting that getting an arm means you'll be likely foreclosing. Yep. Yep. Okay. Game set match, Dave. This arm. is an interesting one. Okay, talk because about it. in my when we when we bought our first home, we decided to get a seven year arm, mm. and and we were told we had people tell us, "Hey, this is not a good idea." Okay, and and I I, I won't say I knew then what I know now, right? I, I was yeah, you know, twenty six years old or whatever, uh, and so I won't pretend like I I was making you know I knew everything was making the the best decision. But I'll tell you this, we were only in the house for two years. And then we were. <laughs> so you've at least, you didn't wait. So, so what you're saying is you were in the house for a year and, you know, six or seven months before you weren't able to make payments anymore. And then by two years, they'd kicked you out of the house. Is that what you're uh, saying? Well, no, we decided to build a new home and, and, uh, uh, okay. and went and so got what, an arm on that one. Okay. So what Dave's <laughs> suggesting then is that, uh, I think we at least busted this idea that you'll definitely be filing for bankruptcy or foreclosing or whatever, right? Yeah, maybe maybe I just escaped that, but uh, okay. But so didn't. here's the deal: I have seen a lot of a lot of situations where people overextended themselves, especially in those early. You know, the when I was early in the business, it was very common for me to see people who were paying you know, had a big old mortgage and it was an arm and then they were two years away. But once that two year time, once that time came, they were going to have a jump in their, that in their mortgage that they weren't going to be able to handle. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so the concept that Dave's saying there isn't that we shouldn't be considering the fact that in a situation like a seven year arm, our interest rate could go up and therefore our payment is going to go up. Like right. we do want to be considering that. But again, if the plan is to live there for two or three years, then and likely move before seven years, then that's totally reasonable. Because here's the deal. If you're there five or six years, guess what? You can still go and refi it at that point in time. Hey, sorry for the interruption. Just wanted to let you know that you can take the F3 assessment right now over at moneyinsights.net. And after the short five-minute assessment, you'll get specific recommendations that will help you move from high income to high net worth. Enjoy the rest of the show. Right. 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 So anyway, 
I, I don't know that I have like a strong opinion on whether someone should use an arm or not. Um, I just know that using good logic is the way to make financial decisions rather than yep. trying to say this is the hard and fast rule because Dave says so. And in the example you gave, if you if you chose that and now you're two years away from it and you see this coming, you don't just have to wait and, and just hope. No, that's it. Right? That's you it. You can decisions. be proactive. You continue to make good decisions, even if that means you have to move. Right. You're you're thinking ahead and you're not just waiting until it happens and then hope. Right. I hope I get a raise so that so I can, you know, pay pay the higher <laughs> mortgage when it comes, you know. And and again, like it's it's sad when people have made decisions that like these that have created that have created problems for themselves. But again, mm -hmm. it's it's a situation where it's not the vehicle that's the problem, it's human behavior that's the problem. Yeah. Right? But human behavior is also the solution. Yeah. Imagine that. Well said. Okay. Okay. So myth number four, Rod, you can't pay cash for a home. That's a myth. Truth? Here's the truth. Bet me. <laughs> That's <laughs> I love is I love stuff like that. Like Yeah, those are good. Those are when, good. When when there's when there's it's not logic, it's just it's just a statement. It's like, okay, I know people who have bought their homes with cash. So that Therefore, you can and should Everyone. be able to buy your home in cash. Everyone. Okay, so this is ridiculous. Like, <laughs> I think about when I was coming, uh, when I, you know, I, 21, 22, I'm kind of getting through this college stage and got married young. I was 22 when I got married. And uh, it was in 2006. Okay. Home prices are skyrocketing the the sentiment that people were telling me is that you've got to get in a home asap because if not then you'll like never be able to yeah yeah <laughs> right Re like really good logic from uh and sadly these are like you know people that i thought could give me good advice mm -hmm. uh but you but generally did so but my point here is just that there was no way i was going to get in a home before it was would have taken an awfully long time even Rod, okay, so this is going to sound really like I'm going to kind of brag here for a second, but our business generates multi-million dollars, and even as successful as we've been able to be, it still would have been, you know, only a handful of years ago that I could have just bought a, you know, a, a decent home in cash. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So anyway, to me, it's just ludicrous to suggest or or like try to make people feel like the the way that you need to do it is to buy it in cash if you're able to do it awesome like good for you if that feels good makes sense to you then great but to like make people potentially feel bad because they're not buying any cash or feel like they should be able to buy it in cash i just think it's ridiculous it's not it's not even living in you know reality i have one thing to say to that <laughs> bet Tell me. me bet okay i'm gonna bet you <laughs> how much how much are we gonna bet right <laughs> everybody can bet, buy home in cash Okay, Rodney, we're almost through the debt ones. We're going to do one okay. more debt one, and then we're going to move into some other fun stuff. Okay, myth number five, the debit card has more risk than a credit card. I didn't even know that he said this. Okay, that's, I'm going to say that again. The debit card has more risk than a credit card, and the truth is nope. Okay, nope. tell us. Tell okay. us what you think, Rod. I I don't carry a debit, carry a debit card. Mm. I only carry cre credit cards. 
Dave shame would on that you and shame like, on you punch me in the face because <laughs> he would because yell his... at you i don't know i don't know if he if he likes okay. you at a physical okay violence, but he probably, would yell that's probably he would yell. and because he would assume well that means you carry a, a balance every month right Here, here's a newsflash i don't we don't carry a balance ever dave says that you can't do that dave says that most people carry balances therefore you will carry a balance Okay, so I have a story for you. Okay. I was carrying a credit card. I must have Did like I have a balance. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was I I probably walked past someone who had one of those scanners that can pick up all your information and then go and use it. Uh-huh. So all of a sudden, I see that someone in in uh, South Jordan, by the way, South Jordan Walmart, went and bought a TV and some other stuff using my credit card. I should have let you know beforehand that I was doing that, Rod. (laughs) Just kidding. Just kidding. That's not happening. So what's interesting is I was able to reach out to the credit card company and tell them, hey, this was not my purchase. They relieved me of having to pay for that. And Walmart had to fit the bill, right? Because they accepted Mm. a fraudulent purchase. Mm. Now, do I think that's great and fair? Of course not. Some, Some thief out there got a TV and Walmart had to pay for it. Right. Right. So that's right. not, we don't want that. Good. But had it been a debit card, it's all on me. Hmm. So that's interesting. If he's, if he's saying the myth is the debit card has more risk than a credit card, I'm saying there's no myth to that. The debit okay. card, carrying a debit card has more risk than carrying a credit card. If I lost it, someone used it again, credit card, I could deny the charges. I could say I, that wasn't mine debit card it's too bad my money's already gone there's nothing i can do about it so what he's suggesting though rod isn't like a risk of being money being stolen he's suggesting mm-hmm. the risk is that you will overspend i will not pay off my balance every month yeah well That's- and and you'll and worse rod if you have if you have a debit card it, it'll decline it once you've got no money there <laughs> yeah right but a credit card, you can have a balance. You don't have to have the money in order to do it. So what he's suggesting is if you have a credit card, you're going to use it. You just have, because that's what people do, right? Yep, people yep. carry credit card balances. They make bad decisions. Therefore, you will. Um, and to make matters worse, you're not even going to pay it off at the end of the month. Yep. Unbelievable. Okay, Rod. So that's Dave's basic philosophy around debt as it relates to home and mortgage. Okay. Are we done with that? Do you feel like we've hit that hard let's, enough? Let's talk about the uh, the basic problems. Oh my god! And how I how it relates going. to these? Yeah, I keep missing it. So okay, so we already did it for number one and two, right? Yep. Okay, so number three, where we said it, it's wise to use a lower mortgage interest rate offered by an arm. If you know you'll be moving in a few years anyway, what's the truth is you will be moving when they foreclose. Okay. So where does that fit, Rod? Is that risk denial? It must be risk denial. I think, I think he's saying people don't understand or they're denying that there's risk in taking on an arm. Mm. Okay. Okay. There's no quick, easy money on it. I mean, you might say that you're saving quick, easy money, right? Okay. But Mm -hmm. I think you're right. I think you're right on. Okay. So myth number four, you can't pay cash for a home, Rod. Quick, easy money or risk denial? Uh, I'm going to go with quick, easy money. Help me understand. If I, I, I don't want to wait to buy the home. 
I want to go get the easy money through the loan. Okay. Okay. Loan okay. Yes. You're instead right. Instead of right. waiting to save it all up. And you might also say that, you know, carrying significant risk. So maybe all of his are like, you know, that's, that's what they Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, good. And then on so, the debit card and the credit card, um, I mean, it could be both again, if based on his assumption that I'm carrying a balance and if, if I use the credit card, I'm not going to pay it off. Then of course that's quick, quick, easy money. Right. Mm, yeah. So, yep. Okay. Okay. So now, now to be clear, we're just defining where Dave's putting these. These are not obviously the way we feel about this. Cause, uh, we would say most of these things are just good, logical, uh, financial decisions. that make sense. Okay. For smart so, people who make wise decisions, become educated. educated decisions there. You can make educated decisions and get much further at really. And this is what's painful about this, Rod. What he's what he's doing is harming a lot of people in in the sense that it's giving he's giving people a way to get to a place, but he's not teaching them that there's like six better ways to get there. Yeah. He's again saying people make mistakes when they learn about this stuff. So don't learn about it. Just do this. But what's really painful is it's robbing these people. And can I just say it like it's generally the low to medium income people, right? Who are, who are kind of the Ramseyites. It's robbing them of the opportunity to get ahead by making good, solid financial decisions that would get them ahead, like using conservative le leverage for financial arbitrage. Like mm -hmm. that's a huge, could, could create a huge benefit to people if they just knew and understood it. And yet you've got people like Dave saying, nope, this is stupid. Stay away from it. Yeah. drives me crazy. Okay. Uh, Rod number. Okay. So we're going to talk a little bit about the, the market. Now this isn't actually a myth inside the book, but I just felt like it was such a, it's such an important part of Dave's philosophy mm -hmm. that like we had to talk about it. Right. Cause, cause we're going to myth bust his truth. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Okay. So Dave's truth, anyone that knows Dave, whether they've heard him on the radio or read the book, they know that Dave always assumes and suggests that the market gets about a 12% return. Mm -hmm. So that's his truth. The market gets 12%. Rod, where do we start? You go first. Oh, let's, I'll start with the concept of average versus actual and then you apply it. Okay. Is that, is that fair? Yep. Let's do it. Okay. So he's again, obviously he's talking about an average of 12%. He's not saying you get a 12% re return from the market every year. Right. That, that, right. I think. Right. That's not what he's saying. That. And and that's okay. Right. So he's just saying if you took a 50 year time frame or a hundred year time frame or whatever time frame you want to take, then the market generally gets about 12% overall. There could be, there's going to be highs and lows, but if you just took the math over that, if you took 50 years and, and did the math on it, you would get an average return of 12%. Yep. Okay, so the first thing I want to do is talk about what's the difference between the un, stating an average return versus mm. what you actually got at the end of the day. Okay, okay, wait, 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 wait. So you're saying that's not the same thing? It's not. Okay, the same this is thing. important. Okay, let's let's just think about this for a second. So what you're suggesting is an average return, and and we state averages all the time. But mm -hmm. what we're suggesting is there is actually a definitive difference between what they're stating is an average and what I could get in my pocket. Like, I think that's really important. A lot yeah. of people don't think about that or don't realize it. Okay. Yeah. Keep going. So 
and I'll just use some really uh, easy math just just to make it, it simple. Okay, perfect. So let's let's go off of averages. Okay, so let's say over over a, a two year time frame, uh, let's say it's two thousand seven and then two thousand eight. Okay. Okay. In two thousand seven, let's say I got I started with a hundred thousand dollars, and I got a twenty percent return. Okay. okay. So now I have one hundred twenty thousand dollars. Okay, good. That's a good return, by the way. Solid. Yeah. The next year, I lost forty percent. Okay. 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 So I lost forty eight thousand dollars. Okay. My, so one twenty, you know, forty percent of that, I lost forty eight thousand dollars. Okay. okay. So now I'm at what one seventy two or sorry seventy two. I started at one hundred, went to one twenty. Now I'm at seventy two. Okay. I'm still with if you, you. If you take the average of those two, then gained twenty, lost forty. It's an average of a negative twenty mm-hmm. divided by two years. Average of a negative ten percent. Return. Negative 10%. Okay. okay, yeah. So you got where should you, that put me? It should well, put me right around 80. Right. right? Maybe a little bit, like a little bit lower than 80. 78, 78 to 80, 79, somewhere 79. in there. Yeah. 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 Where am I? I'm at 72. How did that happen? Mm. How did that mm. happen? Okay, that and that's significant because it it changes. Here's the here's the rule behind it. The downs hurt more than the ups help, right? Yeah. So, and especially if I lose money early on, it becomes more difficult to drive that return back up, right? Right. On an actual basis. I could drive it up really quickly on an average basis. Again, if we're using extremes in like two years, well, in year one, I've got $100,000 and I draw, uh, I lose 50%, mm-hmm. right? Lose my 50%. Now my 100000 is 50000 the next year, good news. I got a hundred percent return, so I'm back up to my hundred thousand bucks, but my average return is a whopping fifty percent. Did I do the right math on that? Twenty-five. Twenty-five. Okay. So I had a twenty-five percent return. Two. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Yes. Thanks for correcting me. So I got a. So I had a fifty percent return over the two years, but I should have had one hundred fifty thousand if that was the case, and yet I'm stuck with the. Hundred grand, the same right at the hundred yeah. that I started with. Okay, I think people get the point, right? the The idea here is that there's there's a lot of things that are happening inside the market. So to just state like, hey, average return, average return, like it's not putting in reality. It's not Be- considering things that are happening with that money. Yeah, because the same financial advisors that he is recommending. And and then he uh, obviously he pokes fun at other financial advisors that aren't the people he's recommending. But when they go and they say, "Hey, Christian, you know what's your magic number for retirement?" And then let's let's create a formula so that when you earn your twelve percent average every year between now and and retirement age, then then we'll know how much you have to save to get you there. So again, this this all kind of may sound like we're just kind of nitpicking the way that he's defining it, but in application, in his application toward being ready for financial independence if if we assume 12 percent every year and especially when you get into retirement and you're spending some of that money you're using some of that money it's every year just dang right dangerous it it's is downright dangerous it is okay so i want to bring up a quick study rod dalbar study okay it's a it's an interesting study it basically we're going to use a little bit of dave's logic against him in this situation okay uh, so here's the deal According to the Dalbar study, the S&P 500 over the last 30 years 
And it's actually, I should state this. It's from 2000, the end of 2021 through 30 years before that, whatever okay. that year is. 89? 89? Okay. So 1989 through 2021. During that time frame, the market, the S&P 500 returned 10.75%, 10.57%. Let me get that right. Inflation was 2.6%. And the average investor return, according to Dalbar, was 7.13%. Whoa, wait a minute. You just said That's, the S&P did 10.57. I know. Crazy. Okay, so here's the deal. There are a lot of factors that go into what an actual what a person gets in a return. Like there's no inclusion in that 12% of the of the fees that a person pays throughout that time frame, right? If oh, you're paying wow. 1.5%, then guess what? You're not getting 12% anymore. There's obviously inflation. There's well, usually there's commissions and fees. Like there's just a broad array of things that are impacting the return that make it really dangerous from my perspective to focus in so much just on that 12% number. Because if everybody just thinks and makes assumptions that they're getting 12%, like that's, again, it's going to be dangerous. It just is. Yeah. And there's the human emotion of it. And Dave would say, no, take the human emotion out because you just buy for the long term. Just buy it and hold it, keep it for the long term. And we would say, Dave, people don't do that. Therefore, the market doesn't get 10.57%, right? Yep. It just doesn't. Okay, Rod, now that we've hammered the average versus actual conversation, we're going to jump into a topic that is near and dear to our hearts, okay? And here is the final myth that we're going to talk about. Here it is. Cash value life insurance, like whole life, will help me retire wealthy. Okay, so that's that's the myth. Dave says this is the truth. Cash value life insurance is one of the worst products available. Just period. Okay, Rod, I'm going to give you the first run at it. I've got lots of things to say, but I am excited okay. to hear the thoughts on your mind. Okay. As you can imagine, I've had a lot of time to think about this because it comes up regularly. And I mean, so, so I think the two things, two points I want to make is first of all, Dave's system is based off of the stock market, clearly, right? If you can go clearly. get 12% there, why do anything else? Yeah. Right. He, in fact, he has, it's not that he has a, uh, doesn't tell people to invest anywhere else, but he pretty much knocks on everything except investing in the stock market. Okay. Just, just straight up mutual funds, uh, you know, index funds, whatever. Right. Yeah. Because everybody Rod is going to retire with no debt and a couple million dollars in their mutual funds and you're good to go. So that's like yeah, Dave's plan. That, yeah. They'll earn that 12% uh, average return, which means they can live high on the hog. Right? Yeah. You'll earn it going into retirement. Like, as, I mean, you'll earn it to get there, but you'll also earn it once you get there. Yeah. Yeah. So like, going. even if you save in his example, I think he showed saving like 700,000 bucks. Mm -hmm. So if you save 700,000 you get 12% return, right? That's, $84,000 a year plus your social security. Like that's pretty good. Pretty good. So, yep. so what Dave's suggesting is, and this again is just asinine and dangerous uh -huh. suggesting that somebody could reasonably retire. Let's, let's say that they had $150,000 income and now they want to retire with a nest egg of 700 grand. Like he would, he would suggest that that's totally reasonable. Well, the studies that we look at are now taking out like, three and a half lower than three and a quarter, sometimes 2.8. Right, right. Like right. those are the withdrawal rates that people are talking about now. Meanwhile, he's over there saying, don't worry about it. 12%. You get 12. Yeah. 
So again, it's so it's a system. So this goes back yeah, to my first point. Sorry. It's a system. Sorry for the tangent. And because it's based on the market, if he says if he's looking at at whole life insurance or any other cash value life insurance, and he's saying, oh, the return you get in there, are you getting twelve percent, people? <laughs> if you're not getting twelve percent, then it's not going to do anything for you, right? Yeah. And okay, so that's my first point. Uh, which my response to that first point is obviously the, the way that we use it. There are a lot of ways that we use it. And we're, for the most part, we're not suggesting, hey, come and, come and put money into whole life insurance because of the return that you'll get here. That's going to be satisfactory for you, right? Right. We're there, not saying generally to build your wealth on life insurance returns. As like, the nobody's primary vehicle, that. right? Nope. Okay. And and what he suggests is that everybody thinks that, right? Now, and and again, it's not that life insurance doesn't have a place. Like I know people that do really well, have done really well using kind of that index universal life as like one of their core retirement mm -hmm. income vehicles. Mm -hmm. That's totally reasonable, right? So we're not suggesting it can't do that. But what we are suggesting is that the way that we teach it, right? The strategies that we teach are not suggesting ever that life insurance is the actual uh, it in and of itself, life insurance by itself is going to be what creates the value proposition that we're looking for. Yep. Okay. So that's, that's the first kind of response okay. for me. The second one is it has more to do with just an understanding of, of how a life insurance policy can be built because mm. the, the type of life insurance policy that he's talking about, where there's no overfunding that's happening, there's no uh, even attempt at optimizing the growth of the cash value inside of the policy. And we know, Rod, that, sorry to cut you off, but I, I, this is important. We know that's what he's talking about because in the book, he gives an example and he yep. says, in a whole life policy, you won't have any cash value for the first three years. Yep. And and of course, we know that that would be like, I, I don't know any policies that don't build any cash value for the first three years. Mm -hmm. That's a That's an overstatement. But the point is, is, it's clearly not one that has 80% cash in the first year, which makes right. a massive difference. Right. So the the whole life insurance policy that he's describing, I don't want either. So it, it's it, that's the kind that's of fair. irony of it that's is fair. that he what he's describing isn't what it we're is doing garbage. clearly. And, right. and we it, wouldn't want it either. Uh, but again, to, to then therefore say all whole life or all cash value life insurance is worthless, it just is, is silly. Yeah. And it's incredibly frustrating because again, it's, it's the same issue that I have with most of his stuff, right? It's telling people bad information that could actually be harmful or may, and, and maybe the better way to say it is, is it's taking away an opportunity for people to utilize really good financial concepts, strategies, mm -hmm. and tools, but suggesting that because of the way that some people use them, they should be totally disregarded. That's what he yeah. does with a home equity line of credit, right? He calls them, yeah. I was reading the book, he calls them hells. He says that the banking industry calls them hells. So, so, but they've just left off the eye or something like that. But it, it's kind of a, a funny dynamic that Dave is just always talking about. So you have to yep. just kind of get used to the Dave methodology. Um, okay, is there anything else you want to say about life insurance? Or is that all you have? Well, I, I mean... Clearly, uh, without getting into all the details of the strategies that we use, uh, clearly there are ways to use life insurance 
that are incredibly valuable so that in, interestingly the the strategy by itself a lot of the p- people we talk to uh use it without considering the insurance part of it that's the irony of it right we're we're built yep. we're we're building these really cool strategies off of the cash value oh and by the way it it also provides a lot of really cool insurance that you don't have to pay for anyway you don't have to go get the term insurance that he's suggesting you should have because it's taking your insurance need is taken care of by the the strategies we use now, i'm not saying nobody should have term right because it, de- it depends on how much the policy is providing because we're optimizing it for the cash value we back mm. into what the insurance number is going to be minimizing keeping it as low as possible to keep the, the cost low but we absolutely believe in life insurance people should have enough and so adding some term to that i, I have term insurance too a lot of people assume that because we're cash value life insurance people, we're also anti-term, and that's not the case. We're not. Used- we're not cash value life insurance. We're just life insurance people in the sense that we like to use life insurance where it can create the most value in yep. whatever form that na- makes sense. Yep. Use the tool for the right need, accomplish the need, and you're good. And that's the essence of what Dave doesn't do. He just basically disregards all the tools. Because they sometimes get misused. Drives me just absolutely bonkers. <laughs> um, okay, that's probably enough. I could go on a long tangent about life insurance um, and the values that I was thinking about. And maybe I'll say this really quick. Like okay. the only time that we use life insurance as the kind of as the actual investment is with the capital avalanche, right? And even then, it's not the life insurance in and of itself, it's the life insurance plus the leverage that creates the return. And without the leverage, it would probably generate a five or 6% return instead of what we're suggesting, which is a double digit return. So, so anyway, um, and then of course, when we talk about the investment optimizer, it's just, it's a complementary tool to build cash in a place we wouldn't otherwise. So anyway, Dave is just, again, missing out on some of the best strategies that people can use to get ahead if they would have just become educated enough to do it. Yeah. Okay, Rodney. Well, well that that's fun. Um, I don't know if we're going to do a part three. We might do a part three. If we do, it'll probably be a debt snowball versus a shred method episode. Because I think that could be fun. Yeah, I like it. That's good. All right. Okay, Rodney, I think that is it for us today. Thanks, everybody, for joining us for today's episode of the Money Insights Podcast. And we will see you. Thank you for listening to the Money Insights Podcast. To learn more about the financial and business strategies discussed in this show, please visit moneyinsights.net. The views and opinions expressed on the Money Insights Podcast are not intended to be individual financial, tax, or legal advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making financial decisions. And if you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. This will help others find the show and learn wealth building strategies for themselves. Thanks again for tuning in and we'll catch you in the next episode.